Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Back. And thank you for listening. David. <laughs> we're using our NPR voices today, That's apparently. Right. That's right. <laughs> so we're we're trying to uh do some stuff with the audio and uh and so I'm not quite sure how loud I can speak. But uh you know what? I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna stop worrying about it, David. Just throw caution to the wind and let the chips fall where they may. Absolutely. That's from True Romance. When you're in it to win it, you got to pay to play. <laughs> My favorite phrase in the world, by the way. So, um, well, mine was from a movie. Mine's just from life, you know, the movie of life. So, all right. So, David, what's going on? Um, well, what's going on with you? What's going on with me? It's funny you should ask, David. Um, so, uh, Facebook friends of mine probably kind of know this already, and I and I know that I've said this to a few uh, a few people, but. Uh, uh, probably in the next couple of weeks, um, I'll make an announcement when it actually, uh, when it actually starts. Uh, I'm going to be starting, uh, a second podcast. Don't worry, everybody. I will still, uh, I will still be bringing 100% to Battleship Pretension. I should hope so. Which is odd, because I don't do that now. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an odd turn of events. But anyway, so, um, so I'm going to be starting a second podcast that's gonna just basically be me speaking, uh, it is going to be called More Than One Lesson, and of course, uh, it sounds like uh, based on my Facebook announcement, some people already know what that uh, line, what that title is a reference to. Um, and uh, essentially, it will be uh, a, a film criticism show for Christians. So, w- what um, is the title a reference to? For those of us who don't know, oh, it's a, a reference to a line from Citizen Kane. Ah, Boss Jim Geddes uh, says that uh, you know you're going to need more than one lesson. You're going to get more than one lesson. Now, he says it as a threat. I say it as uh, something to be excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea being that, uh, well, it's I explain. I'll explain it on the first episode of the show. But uh, as I said, it's it's from a uh, it's film criticism from a Christian standpoint. Um, and so I, I will be. This is going to be kind of directed primarily towards a Christian audience. So I'm telling people that in advance that if you are deeply offended by certain aspects of the Christian faith, you may not enjoy the show. I'm yeah. trying to curb any hate mail I might be getting for this thing. Um, and uh, I can deal with hate mail from Christians because, uh, you know, they're who I want to hear this, you know. But uh, frankly, if you're a movie fan already and you and you like our show, um, then my, my other show might not necessarily be for you because you've already you're already kind of converted to. But I'm sure it'll be interesting. I hope so. Don't, don't go uh, throwing up the velvet rope against certain listeners That's right true. from the outset. No, absolutely. I just uh, I, I'm I'm concerned because my whole bi- my, my big thing was like as I was starting this, and I think I I actually I recorded the first episode already. It's just not available yet. Um, and I said like, you know, I feel like I'm going to wind up pissing off Christians who feel like I shouldn't be watching these movies and that I'm being blasphemous. But I might also be, but I'm also going to piss off non-Christians for some of the things that I say and believe and all that. So this is going to be this is going to be a hot button show, or no one's going to listen to it except my friends. Um, and so, but I'm excited about it, and uh, and there's been a lot of support from from uh, various people that I've told Christian and non-Christian. So uh, so that's going to be starting uh, in a couple weeks. I will let everybody know. Uh, when that uh when episode one goes up and uh just so and basically so that i can skirt controversy and uh and uh declare myself right away the first episode is going to be about the film uh milk so uh you know discussing that from a uh artistic and a theological standpoint that's 
I don't know why I, I'm starting this the series with that. Except I think that's a good. You're not you're not you're not like putting your toes in the water there. You are no, jumping I'm, in. I'm jumping in, and uh, I think that's gonna be good. Oh God, help me! But All people right. who listen to the show know that you're not you know anywhere near uh, a Fred Phelps. You know you're uh, well. No, that's just a and that you th- like milk. I did. That's true. It never mind. Um, it's. Here's the thing, though. That's a front that I put on for for our listeners. Oh, right? I man, I take really. That you're off. a frothing at the mouth homophobe. <laughs> There's no question about it. <laughs> oh man, I hate milk so much. Um, so six days and twenty three hours out of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but uh, but anyway. So uh, so as I said, I'll, I'll I'll let you guys know as that uh, as that develops because it will not just be a show. Uh, it will also be. There's also a website with a fairly in-depth blog we will have various bloggers talking about various things so uh so come on over to uh, more than one lesson.com when it actually exists so that'll happen probably definitely within two weeks but i'm gonna try and make it uh, by next week so there we go excellent so, excellent i'm excited thank you david for letting me let me letting me say that well it's your show too i mean this one that's true. The other one is all your show. That's true. You should start a show, a sec, another show, David. I got, I got too much going on. All right, fair enough. <laughs> there was talk that you were in talks for a while about doing a show, right? About television. Yeah. Okay. Uh, doing a sort of battleship attention about television. Okay. But um, you just got too busy. Well, also we sort of moved recording headquarters and all the equipment to your place. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I don't really have a place to do it anymore. Not how I that never even entered into it. Well, you're welcome to use my place, David. I'll just you know okay. sequester myself in the bedroom, just kind of hang out there, and then I'll come out when you're done. Okay, you know that's what well, my wife does. Well, then, well, then listeners look for that uh, in the in the future. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, speaking uh, of future, hold on. Yes, yeah, speaking of future, indeed, indeed. Now, a few weeks ago, we had Maurice Lamarche on the show. Yeah. And uh, I, I wish we had. I mean, we got this news very shortly after that happened. Almost like almost like the next day. Yeah, and I wish I wish we had known at the time. And he even mentioned talked about it on our yeah. show. Um, Futurama's coming back. It's coming back on the air. And uh, you know, I was kind of bummed out about the whole not not bummed out, but like the whole Family Guy thing, like. You know, the DVD sales were so brisk and everybody loved it so much that they actually brought it back on the air. Um, but I, based on episodes that I've watched since then, and I have watched episodes of Family Guy since then, um, it just, it almost seemed like, oh, they, shoot, they put all, they put what few good ideas they had in those first few seasons and now mm-hmm. it's just, you know, now it's everything that South Park says it is. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but I do remember thinking like, man, why couldn't that happen with Futurama? Because I know that they're going to... The, while I do think the Futurama movies are only okay, with the exception of The Beast with a Billion Backs, I think that one is brilliant. But um, while I think they're mostly okay, I do, I do feel like the show always benefited from being a series, from the little, little you know, 22-minute short mm-hmm. films, basically. And, uh, and now that it's happened, I'm, so, I'm really excited. And it's like, wow, the, like the power of DVD and like cable TV and the internet, like it really does... You know, it's amazing now. I mean, it really, it can bring great things back to life. It's very exciting. <laughs> Come on, everybody. We can do it. Deadwood. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's all, let's all buy the DVDs of Deadwood and maybe, maybe they'll bring it back. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, let's try for John from Cincinnati at least. 
<laughs> no, I was holding out on Deadwood for a long time, but I, when I heard they they dismantled the set, yeah, that because it, sta- it was the set was still standing for like a like a year and a half or so after the show ended, yeah, and so I still had that uh, that glimmer of hope in my heart, and uh, it's it's over now, and I've I've moved on. Yeah, I mean it was an era in our lives, and uh, it's done now. <sighs> Futurama's coming back though, David. That's going to be exciting. Yeah, you know what else is exciting what for is me. That? Uh, like I talked about last week, I really like The Hangover a lot. Yeah, I still have not seen it. I, I'm I'm waiting. Uh, Jen was out of town, and so I was waiting for her to get back uh, sure. to see it. And so now she is back. So I'm super excited. Yeah, um, and uh, I'm even more excited now. It, it's it's made a, a lot of money for yeah. for the kind of movie that it is. You know, it's not a it's not a national treasure that's that's built to make you know. Two hundred million dollars, right. or whatever. So the fact that it, it crossed a hundred million in its second week is yeah, that's a big deal. And it was number one in its second week too, yeah, which yeah. Is, which is rare. Uh, and I, I don't know what to say about it except that I'm I'm kind of kind of proud, kind of proud of America. Well, it's always exciting when when an adult comedy, um, that it I guess it didn't get great reviews, but from certain people, certain people really loved it. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's neat when movies that you know you can just tell like they were meant to be you know a, a modest hit like yeah maybe it debuts at number two or in the mm-hmm. top five at least it stays in the top ten for a few weeks and then it falls off and they make their money back and you know give the and they gave you know Bradley Cooper and Zach Galifianakis and Ed Helms is like gave him a chance to headline a movie and uh, and then we'll see where it goes from there but the fact. I mean, it's it's kind of like Forty Year Old Virgin. In now, that of course, sense. Bradley Cooper had previously headlined the Midnight Meat Train, which That's, that is true. Audiences all over America already knew him from. Yeah, knew absolutely. and loved him. He was I mean, such a lovable, he's such a lovable character in Midnight Meat Train. He really is. And so, I mean, yeah, that's true. He had two theatrical hits on his hands now at this <laughs> point. So, um, but yeah, so I'm I'm just I'm always excited when something that is for adults, like a comedy that's for adults does really well and just seems to be gaining word of mouth. I mean, like all those guys, I mean, everyone's saying Bradley Cooper's the next leading man. Everyone's saying Zach Galifianakis is, you know, his stars on the rise. Like, you know, as, as a standup, he's been known for years and years and on television a little bit, but like, like now he could have significant roles in movies as opposed, you know, he was in, he was in Into the Wild very briefly, mm-hmm. but memorably, I would say. Yeah. So I'm he's, excited. He's got G-Force coming out this summer. Yeah. I'm excited. Are you really excited? No. Okay, just making <laughs> sure. Because, uh, yeah, that looks uh, atrocious to me. You know what I am excited for? What are you excited for? Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, July 15th. I, you and me both. Or or for me, more likely, July 14th at midnight. It's probably what yeah. But um. anyway, so... Anyway. All right, eleven minutes. <laughs> all right, well, let's get, we let's get into about. it, shall we? Um, all right. So last week, David, we talked about casting, and David, when you cast somebody, what you're casting are actors. That's that's my clunky no that uh, transition into I'm today's blown topic. away. I will. Uh, I don't need that from you. <laughs> all right, it's been a long day. Anyway, so actually, no, I will. I will tell the the, the story behind uh, how we got to uh, today's topic. Um, I was looking at the old uh, Battleship Pretension uh, message boards, the forum, if you will, which you can find at battleshippretension.com. Yeah, and don't refer to them as old. 
What was that? They're fresh and happening. Oh, no, it's absolutely. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Just, just a little colloquialism. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I hate God, that word. I, I barely got it out. Did I don't you see that. It, I don't say it anymore because it's always fifty fifty whether <laughs> I'm going to get it right. Um, and so uh, somebody, and first, I, I don't remember what his name was or if he even used his his official name. Some people will just kind of use their like their handles. Well, that's what the internet. BP that's what the internet's handle. for. Absolutely, yeah. And so, um, but nonetheless, I was, ex- I was actually excited that like this, this guy put forth a topic that is very, it's very basic. And he was saying that he's, he has a hard time understanding what constitutes good acting. And it's one of those things where acting is such, uh, you know, an integral part of drama and filmmaking and, and all that. That for somebody to say, I don't understand the basics of it, it's almost like saying, I don't understand the basics of editing or the basics of cinematography or any of that. Um, it's one of the key components. And so, I, frankly, I was excited that he was very honest about that because, you know, I like to think that our, I think that our fans are very different, which, and, and uh, I think that that's a, a, that belief is founded um, or well founded. And so, but on the internet, like if you say like, "Hey guys, I'm not really sure if I know what good acting looks like," you know, there can people can be jerks. Mm-hmm. And so, hats off to to this uh, this listener and this uh, poster for uh, for actually that's put, the right word, yeah, for actually putting it out there because it inspired me. Um, because as I started to respond, I realized like, how do I know what good acting is? Do I even know? Like it can that can actually be pretty subjective when you think yeah. about it i mean I, I i believe that there's a subjective component to appreciating film but i also think there's a very definite objective uh component but like with acting like you know i remember a friend of the show jason eakin he and his friends uh he he uh, majored in uh in theater and he and his friends had jokes about uh overacting and how it's like i've got it's like i've got one rule when it comes to acting Dr- uh volume equals drama <laughs> and uh that always made me chuckle and but there might be somebody out there who who really who thinks that like the apex of great acting is you know yelling a lot and really like putting it out there and and some people like myself would say like well no that's not necessarily good acting and yet somehow I still love Peter Finch in Network yeah you know what I mean and so it's just like well why does it work there and not here well here let me let me lay out right now my my definition, my sort of guideline, and okay. we'll, we'll, maybe we can use that as a jumping off point because okay. it'll open a lot of other questions, obviously. But um, <clears throat> to me, if I believe that this this man or this woman or this child or whatever, if I believe that the more I believe that he or she exists in the world of that particular movie, mm-hmm. the better the performance is. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the other one of the other uh, listeners uh, posted that uh, like a good example is. You just believe that you're watching without even it's not a conscious thought. You just believe that you're watching the example I think that he used was uh, Randy the Ram from the wrestler. Yeah. You believe that you're watching him. You it, don't think like, Man, wow, Mickey Rourke is doing a good job. You may think that later. Yeah. But in the moment, you believe you're watching this person. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you wanted to do this topic because you just you just talked about it like yesterday, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only a couple days ago I was watching season three of Friday Night Lights. Yeah. And I had this this same thought about the woman I don't even know her name who plays Matt Saracen's grandma. Oh yeah, she's amazing. 
She is. She, it's a seamless performance. I totally believe that she ex- believe that she exists. I don't see any gears turning at all. Right. And, and I, I'd had that thought, and it was funny that you wanted to talk about this uh, so soon after that. I was, uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I feel like during this episode, we'll wind up bringing a lot of performances that really kind of uh, are good examples of what of what we're talking about. But um, I remember back in college, I took a class called uh, um, Acting Techniques for the Filmmaker, which was actually turned out to be a really interesting class because. You know, I feel like a lot of people probably came into film school having done like theater in high school. I did, you did, mm-hmm. and so and theater acting is a lot different than film acting. And so, um, so it was a very, it was at the time I was uh, my concentration was directing, and so it's like, well, if you're going to direct, you need to understand the basics of acting, and maybe even do a little acting yourself. So here, take this class, and it wound up being very interesting. And and one thing that my teacher, um. A phrase that he used was, um, I can see the strings. Mm-hmm. You know, as you say, I can see the gears turning. You yeah. Know? And and I remember at the time, I mean, I, I understood what he meant, but I'm just like, well, uh, I don't know. And then I, and then I once, once I started thinking in those terms, you can see the actor making a choice. Mm-hmm. It's not the character making a choice. You see the actor saying, I need to be sad now. Yeah. As opposed to, I am sad. There is a difference between those. Um, and so like, I feel like for me, the definition of good acting, it doesn't, it has nothing to do with subtlety. It has nothing to do because there is such a thing as being too subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not about being boisterous because it's possible to be boisterous and real. Yeah. Um, my, for me, it's all about, do I believe they are feeling the way they seem to be yeah. or the way the character is, would be feeling right now? Um, and so in that way, I feel like Peter Finch in Network, I always believe that he's feeling what he's feeling. Partially you mean you believe he's, that he's mad as hell? That he's mad as hell, and it would appear that he's not going to take it anymore. Okay. Take this anymore. I'm sorry. That's the actual line. Yeah. It's sort of one of those, like, play it again, Sam things. Like, yeah. He never said play it again, doesn't Sam. exist. Um, yeah. And so, like, <laughs> but my some of my favorite performances, they're like Matt Saracen's grandma, where... There are certain actors, and I would say that Sean Penn is one of these, with a couple of exceptions, uh, a couple of uh, performances that I I don't think he does this, but I feel like he's an actor who tries really hard. I remember I made a joke about that a long time ago, but I I feel like I should explain it more now, that he he wants to make sure you know how he's feeling. Uh He he does not want there to be any question. He wants to make sure you know he's mad or he's upset, or he's happy, and he will often push the emotion beyond what is possibly reasonable. I mean, the big... And he's often rewarded for it. I mean, if you look at Mystic River, he does have a couple nice subtle moments, like the scene between him and Tim Robbins on the porch is is good. That's a really good scene. Mm -hmm. But when he first finds out about his daughter, granted, I don't have a child, and so if I lost a child, I would probably be horrified. I'd be horrified. Um, But he turns animalistic you know like he he starts just making growling noises and and shrieking when he you know the scene where is that my daughter in there i mean Mm -hmm. i remember online somebody made a joke in which he might as well just be saying is that my oscar in there (laughs) and uh and so like scenes like that kind of bother me because he just i i don't think i would actually i'm not sure if i really believe what i'm about to say but it's almost as if he doesn't trust the audience you know what I mean? Like, 
granted, that scene shouldn't be remarkably subtle, but it doesn't need to turn into Greek theater. You know what I mean? It's it it really that really upsets me, and just and then the way that he plays a lot of characters, he really plays it as if the weight of the film and the, the like both artistically and thematically is on his shoulders. And it's like, well, yes, because you're probably, you're probably playing lead. So they are, it is a little bit, but there are other actors. Also the director himself will him or herself. They'll, they'll worry about that. You just worry about selling this emotion, but not overselling. Um, to me, probably one of the most naturalistic actors, um, in the sense that he he sells like I'm I'm buying everything he's selling because he's not trying too hard. He's just effortless. Is I was watching Iron Man the other day. Uh-huh. Jeff Bridges. Uh-huh. Man, that guy is just and and I really think at this point that it's going to sound it sounds kind of hip and uh, film schoolish to say this, but I really do believe that his performance as the dude is one of the best male performances in film history Uh because he never, because it's just, he is so comfortable with himself. Like the, like watch the dude sit in a, in his, in his favorite chair. Just watch how he does it. He sits down and instantly reclines or he sits down and throws his leg over the, over the, arm mm-hmm. but he doesn't make a big production of look at me audience I'm, th- I'm look how casual I'm getting he literally is just sitting in the most comfortable position for him uh-huh. even if even though he's being questioned by the cops like <laughs> like he doesn't have to push the uh, hippie uh, background of this character in the way he delivers lines he realizes that all I need to do is show that I'm totally totally relaxed and it's all about relaxation for me all i need to do is sell that and the lines will work themselves out at this point yeah it's that is really an amazing performance because it's just he just again like matt saracen's grandma he just is that character yeah i don't see any strings yeah you know and you uh to talk about matt saracen's grandma again you have i know you're still in season two of friday night lights well i mean i've only i'm i'm only like two episodes into it yeah because she's given more to do in season three okay uh and she does not balk at the uh at the responsibility she steps up to the plate okay if i can continue with uh baseball metaphors here uh but um <laughs> i will add d- d- because I, I hadn't thought of Jeff Bridges, but I uh, his performance in The Door on the Floor is also something that oh, yeah. is astounding to me. Yeah. Especially, I, 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 I don't, that movie doesn't, it sort of, it got good reviews, but it sort of it was forgotten about. No one yeah. talks about it anymore. But uh, it's a great movie to begin with because it took a mediocre novel, yeah. uh, or one third of a mediocre no- novel, and made a really good movie out of it. That's mm-hmm. that. It, it, but this is what I'm talking about here. When, when I say that, that I, if I believe that they exist in the world of the film. Right. Uh, it, an actor has has to do a lot of sort of intuiting what the director is 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 uh, making of the film, what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, you know, mm-hmm. and being in lockstep sort of with with the actual film. And that's why I, I think the door on the floor is a good example of that because um, that that movie walks a thin line tonally, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's got some pretty like dark dramatic elements you know but yeah. it also 
it's kind of funny and kind of especially at the end when it get, like it has the whole him racing around and trying to get back you know and like <laughs> yeah. there's the drawings of <laughs> vaginas that are <laughs> like stuck to the car windshield yeah and it's it's sort of silly but uh a the fact that movie carries it off is great yeah. and the fact that jeff bridges understands because I, right. I obviously I've never acted in the film, but that's got to be tough when you're shooting something in pieces and you're not going to be yeah. there in the editing process to to sort of like prognosticate how <laughs> what it's going to feel like at the end is got to be a tough thing, and I'm sure it comes with experience. Yeah, that's actually that's a good that's a good point that uh, that you made because your performance has to be right for the tone of the film. I remember um, a long time ago, I I was a involved in the drama group of my church in Chicago and uh, every once in a while we would have like an actor's training uh, not a seminar but like one of us would volunteer one of the people that would direct these little you know skits and stuff um, would kind of teach on a specific subject and I was one of the people that did that and so um, one of the things that I taught about was considering the material and tailoring your performance accordingly um, and as, uh, as not, you know, uh, not unexpectedly, I, um, I brought a lot of video clips and I brought a clip from Manhunter and a clip from Red Dragon mm-hmm. because for a long time, and I'm one of these people too, uh, a lot of people, a lot of like really, you know, a lot of film snobs like myself, um, said that like, it's like, yeah, like, uh, Hopkins Lecter's Okay. But that Brian Cox, he's he's my favorite Lecter. Now, I do like that interpretation of Lecter more, but if you watch those two movies, they're they're completely different, you know. I mm-hmm. mean the the way that uh Brett Ratner, uh a, a very bad director, that's for one person. Um Nope, that's for everybody. That's for everybody. <laughs> I don't, I don't care what inside person. joke you're talking about right there. Brett Ratner is a very bad director. He's a very bad director, but that's aimed at one person. And uh, and uh, you know, of course, that I'm joking in my tone, not in actually what I'm saying. But <laughs> um, And so, uh, but he directed Red Dragon in the same vein as Silence of the Lambs, which is kind of a, a very gothic kind of movie, you know. Yeah. I remember, like, it's not... Jonathan Demme, by the way, a very good director. Very good director, Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, like it's, it's a little heightened, like the, there's not, there's a lot of things that wouldn't maybe really happen. Like, it's like, would you really keep the, you know, the criminally insane in what appears to be a dungeon? I'm not sure if that'll help them mentally, (laughs) um, but you know, it's just, that's how he chose to direct it. And, and if, whereas in Manhunter, Michael Mann's interpretation of the film it was very realistic, you know. Lecter's kept in this, just this white, clean cell with not a lot of room to move. And it's like, yeah, I'd say that's probably a little closer to how it is mm-hmm. in life. Um, and his performance is a lot more subtle, a lot more grounded in reality. Um, and that's my—that's always my preference—is realism. But if that, let's say they had cast Brian Cox in *Silence of the Lambs*. And he gave the same performance, but it was still Jonathan Demme directing, and he still had it in that dungeon. Well, Brian Cox would have been swallowed up by yeah. the tone of the film. Yeah, you need a performance like Anthony Hopkins to match what uh, all the other stuff that's going on. Whereas, if you were to take, you know, if you were to take Anthony Hopkins and plunk him right in the middle of 
Manhunter as directed by Michael Mann, and he gave that same performance. Something that didn't seem over the top in Silence of the Lambs suddenly seems like he's freaking chewing the scenery. Right. You know, like that to me is he's, the best He's Gary example. Oldman in Dracula. <laughs> Absolutely. Or maybe even uh, Tom Waits in Dracula, who's <laughs> actually chewing on things. Um, and so, like, so that I think that to me is, like, the best example of, you know, it's the same character, but completely different interpretations, but also different interpretations of the world by different directors. And so, and so, like, once I realized that, like, yeah... Anthony Hopkins' performance is the right performance for this film. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at a movie like Dick Tracy, you can't, you know, you can't deliver a a subdued performance (laughs) as big boy Caprice. You know what I mean? (laughs) It has to be ridiculous and over the top because everything about that movie is ridiculous and over the top and you just got to keep up. So, yeah, it's what you, yeah, what you said is absolutely true. Like what you look for, does it fit in the world that the filmmaker has created? Um, and, and I feel like I'm trying to think of like actors that I think can alter their performances based on the, on the kind of movie that they're in. And of course I'm going to say Robert Duvall because you would not, you know, I'm sure I mentioned a lot of this when we talked about our favorite actors and, and actresses and stuff, but, uh, but you would never think that the guy from apocalypse now, you know, Kilgore, you mm-hmm. never think that's the guy from mm, a civil action. Right. I would say the apostle, but he kind of yells in the apostle, and so yeah. it's, I, I buy that. But like, yeah, Kilgore, every, the apostle, Great Santini, those go in the sort of those all. Yeah. <laughs> um. Just but like the tone of of uh, Apocalypse Now, or specifically Kilgore's section of Apocalypse Now, is so bombastic. Yeah. You know well, that me, you need a performance that is equally bombastic. Let me talk about something else, and I'm going to use Apostle as sort of the exception to this rule. Okay. Uh, I know it's probably a cheesy thing to say. I don't know who first coined the term, but it's kind of true, the idea that acting is reacting. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Apostle is kind of the exception because he is he's basically talking the entire movie. Oh, yeah. He, he like, never stops talking <laughs> in that movie. He's not really reacting uh, all that much. He's sort of the the force that people have to react to, but that's the character. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why that's the exception to the rule, but... um. Uh, and I wish I could think of a, a good example right now, but the, the, you have to. I, I I I think the words that they're saying, that the actors are saying, right. half that work is already done for them because the yeah. words have been written. Yeah. It's what they're doing when they're not talking that is all them. It's like yeah. it's that's when it's all on their shoulders, and they have to keep this character. They have to keep this character breathing. You yeah. know, uh, when he's not talking or she. Yeah, uh, I think I think a great example of a the character speaks, but he sp- uh, it, he speaks even more when he's not talking. Um, is uh, Terrence Stamp in the Limey? Mm-hmm. Like he has a lot of moments where he's just sitting and thinking, mm-hmm. and he's reflecting on the, the events that we've that we've been watching, and and I remember listening to the commentary. I think uh, I think Steven Soderbergh says that he's never seen. Or that he seldom sees like such a good example of somebody who looks like they're actually thinking, not an actor who looks like he feels like he should be thinking. You know, right? Um, and that when I see Terrence and he doesn't he doesn't overplay it. Like his face stays pretty much the same. I don't think he smiles in that movie. Mm-hmm. It's still it's always just this stoic mask. 
and then and everything is in his eyes every single you know any emotion whether it be rage or sadness or realization everything is in his eyes and so that's where you need to look because he's not going to give you anything else and so you just see him like sitting and just staring with what appears to be a certain degree of like just kind of bemusement at what he is thinking about and mm-hmm. the, the turn of events uh, that led him to where he is. Um, but like, I, I do remember um, years ago, I guess, when did Before Night Falls come out? 2000? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it was. The, uh, yeah, okay. Shoot. Maybe it's 2001. Who knows? Damn. It's going to bother me. That's a good movie. I don't. I I really really like that movie. Yeah, and I liked it when I first saw it, but it, I've definitely come to appreciate it more with repeat viewings. And I think as I've gotten a little, I mean, yeah, in two thousand, I was I was eighteen. You know, yeah. I I was technically, as far as the state's concerned, I guess an adult, but I was still as a as a fil- film fan. My mind was still forming, and it still is now. It always is, you know. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm not talking about the topic at all right now. <laughs> just about how much I, I think before night falls. It was. I recognized that it was good, but it was a little over my head yeah. uh, when I was 18, and yeah. I've really come to to love it. Yeah, I think I do need to uh, watch it again. I haven't seen it since I think I watched it with you, um, you know, years and years ago. But uh, I do remember you you mentioned something to me that uh, it, it, it has stuck with me, that um, when the Oscars, because uh, Javier Bardem was nominated for that, mm-hmm. when, uh, when the, uh, up until recently... When the Oscars announce, you know, uh, when they get to the acting categories, you'll see a clip of, you know, like a, maybe a 10, 15 second clip of this actor's performance in the film. And in Before Night Falls, the clip was him sitting. Yeah. Not talking. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, that's an interesting clip. <laughs> and then you actually pointed out. That it's like that's that's the perfect clip because here because he's I believe he's in prison at the time yeah. and he's I, just I can't remember really well, uh, how well I remember which clip they but they chose yeah like but I think it is because we talked about it yeah. yeah he's sitting in prison he really is coming to grips with what is happening uh-huh. what has happened to him and it's just the expression on his face of just of disbelief but acceptance that it's just where it's finally dawning on him and he cannot freaking believe that this is happening. And I guess, I guess you could say it's the look of resignation Uh and, and it's, and, and in choosing and like hats off to whoever chose that clip because that's a great, I wonder who chooses those clips. That is a good question. Are they submitted? Maybe. Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. Let's sit and think about it for a second. Absolutely. Let's give it some time. Speaking of silence. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so I'm trying to think if there's any, like, what what other aspects of, like, really great acting. I mean, I guess, you know, we can talk about loud acting. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I mean, we already kind of talked about, uh, you know, Peter Finch and um, Al Pacino and, and uh, Robert Duvall. And... But those are all in stylized movies, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, um, where everything is heightened. Yeah. So does that mean that one shouldn't yell in movies that take place in reality? I, I guess it just depends on the character. Right. And 
I'll say this: some people do yell a lot. They do, and and it's it's a it's. I I do not envy an actor who has to yell in a movie that takes place in our reality, mm-hmm. Be, or or has to like cry like ball, you know, or anything that's extreme. Because, like, when is the last time in life, David, in your in your life, that you heard somebody just scream at the top of their lungs or just really ball their eyes out? Like extreme emotions. When's the last time you remember seeing one in your life? Seeing one, I, I don't know. I can, I can remember my last couple. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a strange thing because I well I'll go back to uh, go back to what I was talking about. Uh, you know, my, as far as me teaching others how to act. I don't <laughs> know if you if you know or not, listeners. I'm something of an accomplished actor. All right. <laughs> You're you're listening to Which is why this is really your episode and I've talked for maybe seven minutes out of the whole I'm thing. I'm sorry, David. No, I but you have more to say on it. Um I'm yeah, reacting. Indeed, indeed. Which means you're doing more work than I am. Uh huh. That's true. I don't like that. Um But yeah, listeners, you, you happen to be listening to uh you know, the the winner of best lead actor in the state of Missouri for the year two thousand. For his for his extraordinary role, uh, his, his extraordinary work in *The Lion in Winter*. All right, so maybe listen up. Wait, when did you win that? In two thousand. *Lion in Winter*. Yeah. What did you do that for? For a competition. Huh. I don't remember that. Well, I don't think you were there. Oh, okay. I don't so. know. I would. Th- anyway, we'll we'll hash this out yeah. off the air. I I wasn't. Now I, by you know, am the recipient of best actor in the fall play my junior year in high school. That's right. So I of all the people <laughs> who were in that play that year, I was the best male. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that you've won an acting award of some kind. David. That's really exciting because I, I played like the father in uh, the the one act, uh, the Marriage Proposal by Anton Chekhov. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you had a brilliant bit of ad libbing when something it, awful happened. It wasn't happened. brilliant at all. Well, because we did we did when I say that play, it was actually a series of plays because we did a night, a night of one acts, mm-hmm. and so because sets were changing, so there were like six one acts in an evening, and. Um, so each one act had a very sort of spare set because they had to yeah. be changed out. So we basically had like a couch, a side table, and then a freestanding door because the door was a part. It's a it's a farce, so obviously you have to use a door. Oh, there's no question <laughs> about it. Yeah. Um. So we just had a, a a door that had like, you know, two by fours like yeah. nailed to it, propping it up, and like a frames on the other side. Yeah. And um. So there's one part where. I'm talking to my daughter, played mm-hmm. by my friend Elise. Yeah. Um, and then the the suitor is coming in, and because, again, it's a farce, I'm leaving just as he's coming in. Yeah. So I see him coming, like, I see him try to open the door, and yeah. I can see, but I have to be in care. I have to turn. Absolutely. So I'm turning, and I know, as I'm turning, I, I know what's going to happen, because mm-hmm. I can see the door start to tip. Yeah. Like, the, 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 the two-by-fours start to give. Yeah. You know? And so I know what's going to happen, but I have to stay in character. So I stay, you know, I, I, I just walk stage left, walk right off stage, and I hear just like, wham! Just yeah. an incredible, 
just slam. And so the door just falls over. Yeah, it fell forward, and Severin was uh, just standing there. But I don't see that yet. I have to stay in character and stay. Uh, so it's not until I get to the far stage left wing, I turn around, and I just see Severin standing in a cloud of dust. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, uh, Elise, who uh, was a very good actress, is, is, is keeping it together pretty well. Yeah. But Severin is about to lose it. Yeah. And so they have their whole scene without without me, you know. Yeah. And uh, and Elise is a calming presence. Severin's starting to calm down. All right. And I'm talking to my friend Kane backstage. And I'm like, "What do I do when I go back out there?" And he's <laughs> like, "Well, you can't ignore it. It happened. Yeah. You can't, you know." So I just walk out and I say, "Like, what did you do to my house?" <laughs> and then we all just lost it again. And the rest of the one act was us just trying, to, like, just giggling out our lines like this, you know. <laughs> David, so. I'd give you an award for that. <laughs> and, but that was just one night. It was I'm sure it was the other nights that I won the award for. Mm, I don't know. I think it's your ability to think on your feet. And they said that's what acting is. Yeah, but I couldn't not laugh. Oh. That's always been my problem is I, I think if I were if I were in a movie, I would be the gag reel would be all me cuz <laughs> I I can't not laugh. Yeah, uh on the website there is a uh, there is a video that I made with my friends uh which was a parody of Scream and uh I there's a certain scene where I keep laughing. Uh-huh. The director chose to keep that in. <laughs> and I was like, w- w- what are you trying to do to me here? I-, I-, I realize that I'm not pursuing this professionally, but I look really bad here. Uh-huh. Why don't you take that out and put in what how it's supposed to be, like the take where I got it okay? <laughs> how about that? He's like, no, nah, it's funnier this way. Admittedly, still, it is pretty funny. <laughs> but uh, it bothers me so much. Because, um, yeah, I-, I never had that problem on stage. I go to film school and I couldn't stop laughing during other people's uh, <laughs> when I was an actor in somebody else's film, basically just ruining their uh, their their shoot. Well, yeah, but, you never laughed during mine, but that's because I always had you doing either really sad things or really awful things. That's true. You were either like a loser who couldn't get a, a girl to uh, to go out with him in the yeah, park. That was the first one I made. Thanks for that. Then then you were a guy who smacked his girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Didn't, didn't, I, didn't I drag her? Yeah, down you the smacked Stacy, which you didn't obviously. You right. know. Didn't actually. That was an ad lib. Was it? No, I was making myself sound really abusive. Uh, no, um, so yeah, he smacked Stacy and then dragged her down the stairs. Yeah, um, Stacy was a sport. By the she way, she sure was. And and then you like killed people. Yes, yeah, uh, I I got to stab a pen into friend of the show Mike Vanderweist's neck. Yeah, that so, was fun. And then in another film that you made, I got to make out with my then girlfriend i believe uh jen yeah and uh boy. that was my like weird my experimental film it sure was it was it was supposed to be a dream i'm really actually really happy with that still i never i don't think i ever saw it i had to get a 60 millimeter projector we've gone so far off topic talking about acting david but what did i do in your films i got to destroy our apartment that's right at three in the morning i'm sure our neighbors love that <laughs> um yeah because that was back in the day of vhs you throw that shelf all over the place and uh, it's noisy so. Yeah, what, 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 was I in anything else of yours? Is that it? I think that might be it. Man. So. I guess I didn't do well enough in that first one. That's all right. Because... <laughs> Wait, hold on. You also... I did, remember that I did a really silly film <laughs> that was just <laughs> you trying to... Here's what it was, okay? Okay, if you go to film school... Yeah. Uh, I'm back to talking to listeners and not just reminiscing with you anymore. That's fine. That's fine. Um, if you go to film school, you will see a lot of films... And uh, this is going to sound mean because, Tyler, you did this too, but a lot of films about people having bad days. Yeah. Because um, that's, uh, that's what happens, I guess, when you're, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, a hustling film student trying to get get everything done. Yeah, to, I, I meant hustling isn't moving quickly, not like being a hustler. Yeah. Um, so I did sort of a my take on that w- was that uh, again it was front of the show Mike Vanderweist. Yeah. And he was having a bad day because there was this guy in a hoodie whose <laughs> sole goal for no reason at all was to fuck up his day. Yeah. And so he like turned off the hot water. <laughs> we went down to the basement and you like pretended to be shutting off the hot water. And so I had Mike in the shower going, ah, and then you just like <laughs> giggling and rubbing your hands together or something. <laughs> yeah. Like I was a gremlin or something. Yeah. yeah but then, um, but then, but then Mike killed you. That's right. Cause I, yeah. Cause, cause I couldn't he, have it not end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, I believe he gave me a small shove, and I <laughs> fell down two flights of stairs. Yeah, making the turns and yeah, everything down the stairs on my back. That yeah. was I was proud of that because it was a silly fall. It was like, oh, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But then you you hit your head, and then like gallons of blood are like seeping out of your head. Okay, I will tell this story, <laughs> and then we got to move on, um, because you were also in a, in a film that I made where it ends very violently, and it's one where. You and uh, our other roommate, Cole, and this is based on true events, by the way, up to a point, Yeah, where uh, Cole liked to scare people by going, bah, like, <laughs> he would, he'd be around the corner, or if you're in the shower, he'd What be, he would do, if he came home yeah. and could hear that I was in like, watching a movie, yeah. he would, I swear it would take him 15 minutes, like, <laughs> sliding his key in the door as quietly as possible, opening it without squeaking, you know, and then just all of a sudden it'd be, bah! <laughs> and yeah, it really bothered me. Sorry, listeners. And I, so, I went off on him one day about yeah, it. You actually. sure did, but, but I was I was away. Uh, that was during the summer. I was away at the time. So um, yeah, so I I uh, told this story about uh, about one roommate constantly fr- scaring the other roommate, and then this roommate decides, you know, sits down to plan how am I going to get back at this guy? You know what? I've got it. So and you had like a whole montage of me like thinking and like writing things and like. Yeah, crumbling up pieces of paper and like no, oh, it's not and good frustration. Enough. How am I going to have my revenge on this guy? And so <laughs> then cut to the roommate who Cole, the roommate who's been scaring the other one. He's standing on the balcony, just looking out, and then you see David sneak up behind him slowly, slowly, and then he hits him with a crowbar, <laughs> and then and then uh, then you smile to yourself and walk away, and then it, and then the last shot is Cole's obviously dead face. <laughs> Uh, with blood r- running down it, staring at the camera for like 20 seconds. Yeah. I was very pleased with that. Although there is somebody who, in my class, who said like, I, I don't think the violence in that was appropriate. And I'm like, <laughs> but it's funny! Because I'm, but uh, oddly enough, this actually takes us to um, to uh, the idea of uh, si- not silent acting in like like an actual, like in a sound film, but like legitimate, like your character cannot speak. Or everything needs to be told just in facial expression, um, and we'll I'll get to the to like the yelling and all that in a minute because I think that's. By the way, I want to say something. This occurred to me when we had Frank McGrath on the, sh- on the show. Yeah. Recently, I had said it was the first time we had had a really good friend on the show. Yeah. And I had forgotten about Mike Vanderweist, yeah. so I felt bad about. Well, that. we all kind of we always kind of forget about Mike. <laughs> Does um, he listen? I don't think so. Okay, good. So, mind. but um, but yeah, so uh, so the. Th- one thing that I learned, because I, I was I was mock bragging everybody. By the way, uh, I am actually very pleased with my performance in Lion in Winter, but I like to bring it up nine years later mm-hmm. as a joke. But uh, one thing that I learned, because I considered myself a fairly good stage actor, um, and then I went to film school, and oh my gosh, I 
first off, I had to act on film, mm-hmm. and we start out making those silent films. And so it's like, oh, shoot, I don't have any dialogue to work with. And, uh, and well, you know, I'm trained to play to the back row, but when the camera's like a foot away from your face. So I watched those, those first few films, and it's just like, I am atrocious. <laughs> it's like, because the films were not exactly crazy like they required a certain degree of subtlety and i am playing everything up like freaking marcel marceau like everything is huge um but it's just like and so like the the ability to use your face to express emotion without making it look like i'm very surprised you can tell by my you know by my uh, eyebrows are in the middle of my forehead now mm-hmm. like um like a good example of this in in a in a modern you know kind of a modern film not of the silent era is uh, Samantha Morton in Sweet and Low Down. Oh yeah, where she was she was nominated for that performance mm-hmm. and uh, and she plays a, a character who is a, a mute mm-hmm. and and she granted the character is kind of amusing and kind of a throwback to to uh, those old you know those old nineteen uh, twenties characters anyway because. She kind of has this innocence to her and these big wide eyes, but but she also has to show a ra- a very uh, pretty wide range of emotion like sadness and happiness and humor and and uh, and she does it brilliantly because she just finds how it's going to work w- within kind of a it takes place in our reality but it's also kind of a silly world that she's mm-hmm. a part of because that's actually one of the few. Uh, performances that I really love Sean Penn in because uh, he's this very egotistical kind of character um, and he is friends with egotistical characters and she's just in the middle just kind of looking at everybody with these wide eyes like what have I gotten myself into oh well I'm having fun um, but uh, but yeah I, I if you haven't se- just in general if you haven't seen Sweet and Low Down I feel like people don't mention it very often like whenever Woody Allen I think Entertainment Weekly just talked about Woody Allen's like best movies and his worst movies. I'm a few issues behind. Okay, and uh, mm. and I don't remember if they mentioned Sweet and Low Down at all, um, but I consider it one of his, it's one of my favorites by far, and I feel like it's one of his ten best. Oh yeah, I, I think personally, personal taste, I'd say five best. Yeah, it's it's, I, it's uh, w- Hannah and her sisters, sisters. Yeah, uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Yeah. Annie Hall. Yeah, Sweet and Low Down. I like Bullets Over Broadway too. I like it. I don't think I would put it up that high, though. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so just in general, uh, to take yet another tangent, uh, Sweet and Low Down is great on every front. Uh, it's really well written and brilliantly acted. Um, but anyway, so to go back to what I was saying a long time ago, um, before uh, we went through our theatrical histories, uh, David, <laughs> and our various accolades. And we um, forgot to mention the film that I made where uh, Tony was locked out of the apartment. That was a fun one. I don't remember that one at all. Oh. You'll have to tell me about that off air. We've been going for a long time. Yeah, well, that was when we were, uh, I had to buy a Hustler magazine for it. Oh, that's right. Oh, <laughs> I, I remember that episode. That's the ep- episode? Oh, I, sorry. I remember that film because we, we shot it the day after my dad passed away. Yeah. And I was like, well, I, I'm not flying out till the next day. So I guess, yeah, sure, I can help you with this. And I acted <laughs> in it in this zany comedy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I. You, I, I never saw that one. My performance might have been a bit subdued. I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, you you were a trooper, but you weren't in that much. It was Tony. Tony That's true. Tony carried that movie. He sure did. He sure did. Thanks. That's mildly insulting. But um, <laughs> but I remember uh, as I was as I was uh, 
teaching like I mentioned before that I would, that I was uh, teaching like a class uh, at my church about acting, and one of the things that I had mentioned was talking about extreme emotions, yelling, crying, and and this is this is a very specific te- technique that not all actors are going to agree with, but um, like if you want a, uh, a performance to seem excuse me, if you want a performance to seem realistic, like look kind of look at yourself when is the last time you when's the last time you cried but more specifically when's the last time you really let yourself cry some people do mm-hmm. and it's like okay if, if you do that how, like what under what circumstances do you do that is the character where they're they're supposed to cry here are they in those are the they in those similar circumstances mm-hmm. you know if they're not then perhaps you will the character will start to cry but but stops themselves you know stops him him or herself um and so like for me like the in the you know in the performances that that I gave like the key to realism was always how do I do this like what like I I don't yell much in real life but what when I have what caused me to yell is this is what this character is going through is it similar like, would he feel the same way that I felt when I found myself yelling? And if not, then I would usually find a way to not yell, even if I'm, even if it kind of says in the script that he should. It's like, well, maybe we can play it this other way, mm-hmm. in which he's specifically trying not to yell, you know? Um, and I feel like that's, that's, that's how you can play extreme emotions within reality i mean if you look at the we've mentioned this scene before the scene in uh, in the bedroom where you get two mature adults yelling at each other like really screaming at each other mm-hmm. and it's like well and you don't really run across any yelling in the rest of that movie yeah. before or after um so that is by far the emotional height of the film and so how did they get there and did that scene did the emotion the emotional core of that scene, did it warrant them both yelling? And the answer, of course, is yes. And the way they got there is that I think in both of their instances, in both of their cases, both actors have been wanting to yell the whole time, but mm-hmm. have been, but kept themselves back. And then one of them started, which gave the other one permission. All right. And the one that started is the one who, you know, is more upset and does not. And it's Sissy Spacek and she doesn't, know really what to do with her anger or uh i guess she like tom wilkinson starts to raise his voice and that sets her off so basically i mean it's kind of what you're talking about she gets there because she's reacting to something he's doing and so so yeah it's like one of the most important things that i ever learned in acting was what you do when you're not the one talking, but you're still there. You're still on stage. Mm-hmm. So that means you actually have to listen to what people are doing. Now, admittedly, my first few performances, I imagine it's just like, when's my line? When's my line? <laughs> when's my line? Oh, okay, here it is. All right, now when's the next one? Yeah, um, well, what do you think about the... Because uh, I don't have any really acting training at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're supposed to obviously find something to some business to do with your hands or whatever right not just let them fall your side yeah but i I see a lot of all right back when i you know was in high school i would see a lot of immature actors doing way too much Mm -hmm. with their hands like where do you where do you where do you fall on on that on on having just some business to do well i mean i think it just 
you know, it, it depends on the kind of performance, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the kind of and the kind of character it is. You know, I mean, I once played the King of England and he could do whatever he wanted with his hands. You know? <laughs> and I often found and you just kind of learn basic things like there are stances that are powerful mm-hmm. and stances that are, you know, weaker. And it's like, is this character weak or is he powerful? Does he feel powerful in this scene? Does he not? And so if, you know, if you're playing a modern character, most modern people, or at least, you know, most modern guys, I think, default is probably hands in pockets mm-hmm. when they're just standing. And so, like, I think you can probably do that in good, in good conscience, but, like, that's only when they, when you're not saying something extreme or, you know, when you're not feeling emphatic. It's just kind of the default position that you can fall into, and I think you can do it. Uh, without feeling bad about it like yeah. well, i got nothing to do with my hands i better put them in my pockets well, like well that's what i do in well, life I, I remember because i was again behind the curve in you because i wasn't an actor mm-hmm. so i was uh i remember being wowed by something then you were like yeah david that's what acting is <laughs> and it's danny devito's one scene in the virgin suicides can you please not make me sound like a jerk <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to Thank but you. he's sitting there and he's talking and he's listening to mm-hmm. uh, Cecilia, the youngest uh, of the Lisbon girls um, in Virgin Suicides. And uh, he's sitting there at his desk and he's got his fingers sort of loosely interlocked and he's just sort of like rubbing them together while he's yeah. talking. And I, remember, I just like I saw it in the movie theater and I just had this revelation. I was like, that that probably wasn't in the script. There's, there's no reason <laughs> for him to be doing that. But that's like it sells the character so much more. And like now yeah. I realize that, yeah, that you were right to be a dick like you were. Uh, no, I'm joking. But yeah, that, that, yeah, that David, that's what acting is. But that, it was, it was a huge revelation to me. Well, and it's, it's again, like for me, I imagine that in life, Danny DeVito probably does that. Yeah. And so if he, so he finds himself sitting in a position that when I'm in this position, I do this, uh-huh. but you know, he also needs to be careful that he doesn't, draw focus from something else you yeah know? um and that's that's where choices come in you can't just only like for me i tend to bounce my leg a lot or shake my foot if my leg is crossed mm-hmm. and if i was in a play and i'm sitting there while someone else is talking and i am just shaking the hell out of my foot uh-huh. it it steals focus and it's like well then that's a choice that i'm going to have to make to not do that or do it smaller yeah you know and so uh, and an, another example um, that I've brought up a couple of times to you um, that it's just it's just brilliant to me because I again I, I like you said with Dan DeVito I feel like it might not be in the script but it's an actor's choice is in the movie the uh, the lookout mm-hmm. where um, Joseph Gordon Levitt is a character who has uh, suffered from brain damage and he has had to learn how to do things again and mm-hmm. he still has some some slight memory loss or more I'd say more uh, you know more exactly I think he just has trouble focusing on things mm-hmm. when, while he's doing them which means he won't remember them later um, and he walks a very definite way and it's not the way Joseph Gordon-Levitt walks I've seen him in other movies he walks in an awkward way but not too awkward he walks in a very precise way and I, and I, re- and I realize like why is he walking that way it's like oh he's playing a character who had to learn how to walk again uh-huh. and so you know if you t- if you learn some if you have to relearn something or if you're learning something for the first time 
in your mid to late twenties. Like right, because and he's also a guy who has to think about walking while he's walking. Right, right. It has not yet become instinct again. Yeah, and uh, and I remember looking at that and like that's brilliant because some people might not notice it mm-hmm. at all. They might just think, oh, he's walking kind of funny, but they might not think about why you know, and that's not. And I'm not saying that in any kind of self-congratulatory way. Like, I noticed it and other people might not. Because there's pl- there's probably other things that other actors yeah, have that's done. that's what movie watching is, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> you notice things. You look with your eyes and you and you uh, process with your brain, Tyler. Um, yeah, and uh, and I'll bring I'll bring this up uh, as a, an example of, of brilliant acting. I brought it up before. One of the best... It's not in a movie, though. Which... Bums me out immensely because I feel like everybody who's interested in acting should watch it. Jen and I in Chicago a few years ago went and saw A Christmas Carol on stage. Oh. I've seen A Christmas Carol in some way, shape, or form like a million times. All right. <laughs> Scrooged, for example. Um, but like, well, and we're all going to go see it again when the Jim Carrey went. Oh, I saw the trailer for it. Oh, the other I, will, day. I won't watch it. And by the way, how many times have I mentioned that movie on this show? Quite a bit. And within really the last couple it. weeks. I really um, hate it. Oh, and David, remind, the me, idea of it. remind me at the end of the show to uh, issue an apology for uh, something I said during the Frank episode. Okay. Remind well, me we are end. near the end of the show. So. Oh, that's true. Oh, my gosh. Yes, we are. Um, so we were watching A Christmas Carol. And, of course, if you're, if you're familiar with the story, which I feel like everybody is at this point, even if they've never really seen it, yeah. everyone just kind of knows about it. Um, there's a part at the end where Scrooge has, has undergone a change and he sees this kid walking along and he's, and he gives the kid some money and says, go and buy the biggest goose, you know, mm-hmm. and give it to, and take it to the Cratchit's house. Um, in the production that I saw, the kid doesn't quite understand right away. Like he, he's not dumb. He just doesn't trust. He doesn't trust this guy and doesn't really understand why he's doing this. And there's a part where Scrooge, starts to lose his temper. He's as he's trying to explain to the king and he's like he goes, "No, I he starts to lose it. Stops, calms himself down and starts and starts saying it again." Uh. That to me was always that that alone made it my favorite performance of Scrooge ever. And that's probably it was probably a directorial choice I'd say, but also an acting choice uh-huh. because it shows that for Scrooge to change, he has to make choices. He has to make deliberate decisions. Yeah. It's not just, I went through this one night with these ghosts. Admittedly, if you went through something with ghosts, it might admittedly change you Im- immediately. <laughs> I admit, I, I'll say that. But that the initial shock of seeing ghosts might wear off, and then you have to remind yourself of why, you know, of what you are trying to do. Mm-hmm. And... Him starting to lose it, stopping, and then forcing himself to have patience, it was always one of the best acting decisions I had ever made because... Seen made. What was that? Oh, that I had ever seen. Yes, I'm sorry. That I had ever seen made. Yeah. (laughs) I like to take responsibility for other things. Um. (laughs) Because, you know, they didn't do that the nights you weren't in the audience. (laughs) Exactly. They're like, Smith's in the audience? Best actor, 2000, Lion and Winter? Here's a little something for That's you, best, buddy. Best high school actor in a in a one act play. Even though Lion and Winter is not a one act, we only performed okay. the first act of it. So. Okay. 
And this is high school male actor. Yeah, lead. High school lead male actor in all of Missouri. That's right. All right. Hey, Missouri, uh, strangely enough, had quite an act, uh, quite a talent pool theater-wise. It did. So anyway, because the Missouri All-State Show, which you were a technician and I was an actor, went to the International Thespian Festival in Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that always... That decision by that actor was always amazing to me because in that one moment it draws out a completely different theme of the play one that never ever uh is talked about the idea that his change is going to be difficult Mm -hmm. and he's probably going to slip up a little bit but you know as long as he keeps in mind what his ultimate goal is he's gonna you know he will succeed and uh and I always thought that was, I don't know, I always thought that was that was brilliant. And so, um, okay, so I know we have to, to finish up. So. Yeah, let's wrap it up. I, I'm interested to get some feedback on this episode and see what people thought of us spending 15 minutes just reminiscing about the movies we were in. I'd like to think we, it was fun for them. I, because I hope so. Again, like I say all the time, I always think that if I'm having fun, the listener's probably having fun. And you always say that that's probably not that true. That can't possibly be true. <laughs> um, I think my fun is infectious. Yeah, maybe, you know, and maybe I'm giving them permission not to enjoy it. So listen, let's stop talking to each other and referring to listeners, them, for a second. All right. Listeners, I want your feedback. I want you to know if you enjoy that or if you were just waiting for us to get back to the topic. Because it'll help shape future shows. Will it? Well, that's what we're saying. Oh, okay, all right, fair enough. Um, Yeah, so, uh, oh, apology. Okay. Um, During the Frank McGrath episode, I once referred to editing as super important. That was really stupid of me. Yes, it is important. I could have phrased that better. <laughs> I could have phrased it less like a 13-year-old. All right? <laughs> Did you like just listen to this again the other day? Well, I was, I was uh, messing with the, uh, the audio and stuff, and, uh, and I just happened to hit that clip. Uh-huh. And I was just like, and I said, and, you know, I mean, editing is like, uh, I, clearly I was searching for a word, and I <laughs> fell on super. <laughs> editing is super important, you guys. <laughs> it, it does sound like an instructor of younger people saying, <laughs> yeah. hey, guys, editing is super important. Uh, editing is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even, you know you've made a bad word choice when even really or very would be a better a better choice. So, yeah. yeah, sorry about that, everybody. I realize in that moment it's like, I feel like listeners would have been like, why am I listening to this? This guy <laughs> just said something was super important. So, uh, anyway... Um, so yeah, I would like to get your your feedback as well because uh, acting is a very it, it's such a large topic that I feel like we've only briefly touched on it. Um, but also, I, I hope that we have been able to answer or at least give our theories uh, about what that listener's question was, which is what do I look for in good acting? And it's just look for honestly believability. And if you are kind of it, this might be too broad of a generalization, but um, if you are aware that the person is acting, even if even if you think like, wow, they're acting really well, well, mm-hmm. you're still thinking about them as an actor playing a part, yeah. as opposed to just... But then again, I mean, that's for a, a normal f- film goer, but uh, people like, people who are really into film are gonna yeah. think like that anyway. Yeah, I, you know what, actually that's true. I feel like I've been very fortunate uh, in that I have... Even after all these years of like analyzing film and all that, 
I still can let myself get lost in mm-hmm. a movie um, and a performance. Um, and that's true. And some people might not be able to do that. And there's, there's, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but yeah, I'd say believability. Do you believe that they're actually feeling this? Do you believe that, that they could exist in this world right. um, created by the director? Um, I'd say, like, start with that and then you'll st- and then you'll also find certain actors that you find do that a lot like Jeff Bridges and Robert Duvall um and then once once you start to appreciate it you'll you'll kind of learn it along you know along yeah. the way um at the very least you'll learn what you like and what you respect because as i've said before i really don't like Sean Penn no i don't like Sean Penn and i really don't like John Boyd. All right, so um, <laughs> all right, so, second one in history. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, so thanks for uh, listening. No, I want to say we just cut something. Yeah, because I said something stupid, and I'm the guy who can't remember what year Cape Fear came out, and we left those in. So you know <laughs> that what I just said was really stupid. It was pretty dumb. <laughs> it was almost as dumb as the thing of mine that we cut out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, y- now we're know. even. Right, right. Okay, let's wrap this up. Okay, all right. Uh, so thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, of course, you can email your questions or comments to Tyler at BattleshipPretension.com or David at BattleshipPretension.com, um, or you can contribute to the forum. Uh, as David said, we would like to hear your uh, comments uh-huh. on on our re- uh, reminiscing. Some people enjoy it, and uh, and uh, they, they've made themselves known, and I'm excited about that. Okay. If If you didn't enjoy it, Mm, maybe just keep it to David's reminiscing because uh, <laughs> I don't take criticism well. So, uh, yeah, anyway. so yeah, do that and uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter. That's right. Or follow me, really, on Twitter at The Pretension. Yes, twitter.com slash The Pretension. And uh, yeah, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.